Hello, everybody. Hi. We're back and stuck at home still. And we're at home and it's hot. Hot as a motherfucker. It's hot, baby. Uh, yeah, I really, uh, we're sacrificing because we wish we had our air conditioners on, but we want you guys to hear us. So here we are. I know that is the hard part. Just turn all fans and AC off when you're recording and you're just like slowly melting. Just us and our sweaty balls. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of balls, just kidding. That has nothing to do with today's episode. (laughs) (laughs) So uncomfortable. You're like, how? gonna turn this into um well today you know what if we want to talk about biology uh, balls yes are, why are why we're <laughs> here i guess right perfect uh. perfect and speaking of why we're here uh parents come to mind <laughs> fuck <laughs> that was a rough that was a rough intro sorry yeah. mom and dad but anyway. we're stuck with it now um <laughs> this episode is really special so we introed it in the last episode. You guys have an idea what it's about. Um, I interviewed my parents. Um, I think it was in December, actually. So a couple months ago about their experience in the last couple of years of just quitting their jobs um, in their 50s, moving to Africa for years and years. And uh, that whole decision and where it came from and what they learned and what people thought of it and all of those things. Um, and we had it kind of as a backlog episode and then we just realized, you know, we're obviously we're in quarantine. We can't have live guests. And this is a very relevant topic. In fact, when it comes to reassessing what makes you happy in your daily life. And even if you're in a routine, like we all were and like, what would happen if you just jumped ship and we were all kind of forced to, Mm -hmm. um, my parents were not, obviously they, they made that decision for themselves, but since we're all faced with that now, like, what would you want your life to look like if you could change it? And the thing is, it sounds cliche and oversimplified, but, but you can, you can change it. It's not easy, but you can, um, and not, you know, at at any age. So they are, they kind of taught, they've taught me that throughout life, but the story that they tell in this interview is crazy and everybody is enthralled with it and when I tell people that I meet about my parents and what they do I mean everybody's reaction is the same no matter what kind of person what age what race what gender what profession they're in everybody reacts the same yeah and it's this like awe and like oh my god your parents are the coolest people I I know yeah I've never heard anybody with a story like you and that's why it's just so great to know you and I mean I would I mean after this quarantine is over I just want to like your parents to come and like we spend time with them because I have so many questions myself and I know they're going to be answered in this episode Mm -hmm. but it's just it's a really well-timed uh episode for us and we didn't know when we were going to air this interview that you did and I I think this is a great time because and we'll be talking about this in our future episodes but we have friends in the service industry that are like now realizing that they don't want to do this anymore (laughs) that like all this time of course we want money and we want to work for money but it's just a really beautiful time for people that are looking to switch and looking looking for a new way to feel satisfied in their work life because this quarantine is because most people are laid off yeah and this is the time to really reevaluate 
and have that SOS moment that we talk about every damn episode and Mm -hmm. find out what truly feeds you. Because, you know, if you don't have the, um, I think I said confidence like that your parents have. That's I mean, pretty much like confidence. Yeah, like the the cojones, talk about balls, <laughs> to yeah. change careers like that. Yeah. You know, so I feel like this quarantine is like an excuse for a lot of people, which is a great thing in itself, but to not Right, have it gives that. you like a preview of like, for lack of a better word, um, what your self-identity could feel like if it wasn't mm-hmm. attached. If you're in a career that you love, great. And obviously this isn't, doesn't apply to you as much, but the concept of like having a side uh, side gig that you're not so crazy about or like part of your money coming from something you don't love or a day job. And then this forced break of like, wait, I don't have to hit pause on who I really am and go do this job that I hate and then clock back into myself when I get home. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that's what it feels like when you're doing something you don't love. It's like, I'm, I'm myself. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, Oh, I have to go to work. And I just like, I don't feel like myself for the next six, seven hours. And then I come back to, myself and it's jarring and it's but we get used to it yeah and now we're taken away from that and you get to have this sense of like oh this is what it feels to be fully me yeah like you know of course not to diminish any of the struggles people we're all going through financially health-wise all of that but you know we're we're talking about the career aspect of it and and I think we minimize you know our conversation with Rudy that you guys all just heard the shaman we had on um we minimize the power that we actually possess to change our lives and shape our lives. And it doesn't mean we're in control of everything because obviously we're not, but it's acknowledging that you are in control of tuning into your own intuition Mm -hmm. and following it. You don't have the answers to where that leads you, but that's what my parents have taught me the value in that, because that gets you somewhere beautiful, even though you can't name where it's going to be. And it's, I have so much admiration for that. Because for myself, I have I have a bit of an issue trusting my intuition and mm. and going there. And but it, what's interesting, too, is that like when I talk to my friends, you know, I talk to my friends all the time and especially now they. For example, yesterday, my friend, I was we were taking this like stupid quiz, um, like a personality quiz, I think. I, I'm yeah. stupid. And one of the questions was like, what word do you describe? What, 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 what word would your friends describe you? And one of the options was ambitious. And I was going through all the other ones. And my friend was like, ambitious for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I think I'm the really? least ambitious person ever. Oh, 100- I mean, Alyssa, you moved to L.A. to pursue acting. <laughs> do you know, know that already I- puts you in a category beyond most people's ambition? I know, but I think as someone and not to bring up the service industry again but I feel like being in a field where you just feel so unsatisfied and it's soul crushing yeah and you don't know who you are and or, or during that time and it's like like you said and you're condescended it, to on the daily <laughs> yeah you lose that trust you lose that trust mm. in your intuition no matter what work you're actually doing in reality it doesn't matter because there's a part of you that you lose when you're not doing what you love. So yeah, even because if you yeah. cannot stop yourself from identifying with that on some level. Yeah. Even if you're telling yourself like, this is just my side job. This isn't me. This is your psyche doesn't know that like that is also, it's going to seep into who you identify as on some level. Yeah. Wait, so tell, um, 
tell the listeners a little bit before we get into the interview, like what to expect and like uh, I joked about it before, but I was like, your history with your parents. Like, <laughs> when did you and your parents meet, Molly? <laughs> <laughs> so my parents and I met. It was a really funny story. Um, <laughs> it was 1989. Yes, know. yes. That 1989 is when I met my dad. I guess I met my mom before then. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Wait, no, so you they... met your dad first. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, I met my dad first. Was I my mom then at that moment? And then I met my dad. I don't understand. Oh, wait. No, because we're yeah. the sperm, weren't we? Yeah, we are the sperm. I was the fastest swimmer. We're going way back here. We won. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had a really unique childhood that, you know, as a child, I didn't appreciate how I appreciated it, but I didn't realize how unique it was. Um, but I quickly realized because at the age of nine was the first time we went abroad um, we went to West Africa of all places. It wasn't, it wasn't like a soft transition into like a nice place in a first world country. It was straight to Ghana and Niger. My dad had lived in Niger for years, um, before in the eighties. And he had a family out there that was like this woman, Taluma, who we have pictures of her in our house. We, um, we heard about her. I had heard about her my whole life. Um, it was his mom in the village he lived in and they were so close. I knew what she looked like. We always hear about Taluma. He would call, he'd get her on the phone once in a while. Um, and this was one of the most moving. So we went to, uh, his old village, but he wasn't able to communicate with them beforehand that he was coming because, you know, it was before cell phones and everything. And it was just like, oh, we're going to show up, you know? And so we got, we spent a lot of time in Ghana. Then we found a ride out into, I, this is in my nine-year-old mind. I just remember being in this Jeep, like driving in the middle of the Sahara, like in the middle of nowhere, in the desert forever. I don't remember there being a road. There probably was one. Anyway, we just like eventually there's like some mud huts and dad's like, oh, that's Chacal. That's the village. And we just like stop. <laughs> the car just stops and we get out and the driver pulls away. And I guess he was whoever my parents met. He just came to get us whenever we left. Anyway, we walk up to the village and they have no idea that we're coming. And Taluma has not seen my dad in, uh, I don't know how long it had been, like over 20 years. Wow. Um, maybe 15 to 20 years, something huge. And we're talking as we walk up to the huts and she has no reason to think that he's there. No reason. And she hears his voice and we hear her from inside the hut. She just goes, Tom. Like she just was, it was another day for her and she just heard a voice and she knew it was him. No wow. reason to think that he would be there. My mom started tearing up. She ran out of her hut and she just, she knew his voice and she just ran out and they were crying and hugging and my mom was crying and hugging and I'm nine and Dylan is seven and we're just like, and all, everyone in the village is like now gathered around, as, you know, and we're just like, what is that? And there's just like embracing and hugging. It was really emotional and the village, um, I remember they all their their livestock was just just bones with skin stretched over them. Like I'll never forget the cows. It was you see everything. Wow. You see the hips, the ribs, everything. And uh they don't have a lot of food, but they were celebrating my dad like us being there. Mm -hmm. And they killed like one of the cows and a chicken and they cooked like this big feast for us with rice that night. We ate it with our hands around the fire, all the village. They were obsessed with my like the I had a flashlight and Taluma was obsessed with it and she just kept playing with it. And um 
my mom was like, you should leave that with Tuluma. And I'm like, what? No, it's my flashlight. I like that flashlight. And she's like, Molly, we're going to leave it here. We'll get you another flashlight. And she kept it. And uh, they were like playing music. And the, the chicken, I remember them like grab. I mean, for Dylan and I, it was just like very much like this is super real. Like they're grabbing the chicken. They're holding it upside down. They're, they're just chop the neck off. They're draining the blood. They're plucking. They're doing all like right in front of it. They're like, this is what we're eating tonight. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're so uh, adaptable. Because yeah. I wasn't scared. I wasn't put off. It was just like, oh, cool. There's kids around. So half the kids are running around naked because they have no clothes. The other half is wearing like my mom saw somebody with a Nebraska Cornhusker shirt on because all the stuff that is like donated from us yeah. gets sent over and it ends up there. Like whatever team loses the Super Bowl, all that merch goes over to a lot of it goes to Africa. Wow. Or like whoever loses. Wait, I didn't even. Whatever sports championship, all that. that merch is sent over. Yeah. And it was just like. But nobody, I don't know. So that was literally, I could go so far into that, but that was my first experience traveling. And I was nine, like I said, and we were in Africa for weeks. We go back home. We lived in Iowa at the time, like a very small town. Mm. And I, I'm like realizing when I come back that like, oh, oh my God, like these kids around me that I identify with, these are my peers, but they don't, they don't understand that there's more to the world Mm -hmm. and like, how could they, their children, but also now I realize a lot of the adults didn't as well, but, um, that was my childhood over and over. We lived in Norway. We lived in China. We traveled by the time I was 17, we went to 15 different countries and lived abroad in multiple of them. And we saw all these cultures and we weren't staying in nice. We were living with the locals wherever we went. We never stayed at nice places um, you know, it was just the, you absorb the lifestyle. You, I basically had a childhood of learning how to be a visitor in someone's country over Mm -hmm. and over and over learning pieces of this language, piece of that language, customs here, what's polite, what's rude, what to, what you eat, what you, Dylan and I were never picky eaters. We didn't have the opportunity to be because of these experiences. And, and yet we always lived in small towns in America. And so every time we came back home, it was like this slap in the face, especially coming back home when I was like, 11 and I'm 12 and then I come back home from another place when I'm 17 and I'm all these other kids around me that are my peers I'm like don't you it's not like coming back to New York or LA where a lot of people are transplants or have been it's like these small towns where people haven't left for generations and like but don't you understand we we are like part of some uh, the world like we're part of something bigger we're not just part of Washington state yeah you can go past Seattle would would you say that experience uh, of always feeling like um not feeling like but but knowing that feeling of being a visitor and 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 being so open to different experiences kind of made you uh kind of select the people you surrounded yourself with growing up like friendship wise like did you realize like oh that person is so close-minded so I mean in general I feel like you would be like that anyway I think I think be privy to people's privileges and be like that's just so yes yeah yes it really made me feel at the same time a very much a part of the world and very much isolated from where we were because I remember what I learned to do is to meet people where they're at and not try to make someone understand something that you can only get from a certain experience not try to explain something to someone who who doesn't really care because a lot of people they have interest in your travels but like you know when I come home I'm like 17 and come back from six months living overseas. 
people want to hear some stories, but at a certain point, my experience, they didn't, it was like, okay, I get it. That's cool. You're in China. Like, where's the party at tonight? You know what mm-hmm, I mean? And it's mm-hmm. just like, okay. So what I learned to do, like in high school, I had, I had some close friends, but I don't, I don't stay in touch with anybody from high school. And I knew I, I had a great time in high school, but I knew I was like, this is for now. And I had friends there that I loved mm-hmm. and I had good experiences, but I knew it was temporary because I knew I was going to get out and go somewhere else and do so many more things that it wasn't where, and I have respect for people who, who don't, if that's what you want. But I knew that, that I wanted to do that. And I didn't find anybody at that time that I related to on a deep level. I got those friends later in life, college yeah. and beyond. Um, but yeah, it did give me the ability to kind of, like I said, being adaptable and the ability to morph into and find appreciation and so many different because I have such an appreciation for small town life and the people I meet there and the people I grew up with yeah um but the people I connect with on a deeper level have a certain worldview yeah yeah not that they've traveled everywhere but you're right it's like a mentality like the way I connect to you or uh, anybody close in my life is different yeah I I found the same way because they did traveling, but not as tra- as much traveling as your parents did. But like my parents, they were my dad was in the Air Force. So they did a lot yeah. of moving around before I was born. Um, yeah. So my sister, who's 10 years older, she did a lot of that moving. And I feel like it's fascinating because we, you know, my family, my my extended family is more conservative than we are. And I feel like we owe a lot of our open mindedness and our uh love yes. for other cultures and people in general <laughs> i'm not saying that's not a conservative trait but let's yeah. be real um oh that to my grandparents my mom's parents but mm-hmm. m- a lot to because i was raised with people that traveled and and adapted right. and learned other languages and i don't know yep. what i would you know i don't know how different we would be if that they didn't have that experience that i yeah. was able to be brought up with you know right. if that makes any sense so yeah, it's because such a even beautiful if you were, experience, like experience to have had. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, even if I, they hadn't taken me or my brother anywhere or like even though you didn't grow up the same exact way that your sister did, you are raised by those people. Yeah. You're both raised by those people with that mentality. And it's just this understanding of. I mean, I, we have so many stories it bonds you as a family too, because there's so many things that, I mean, for, for cumulatively all the times we lived abroad, it was like multiple years of my childhood where none of us were fluent in the language of where we were. We mm-hmm. learned pieces here and there, but right. it's the four of us against the, it's the four of us trying to figure out this thing, trying to figure out what to order at a restaurant, trying to figure out what this means. Where's the, how does this bathroom work? How does like simple but funny things when you're traveling, especially when you're in like second and third world countries. And I mean, we went so many times where you're like, Oh, where's the bathroom? And someone points to a hole in the ground. There's not even like, I mean, it's just like, Oh, okay. And you just, you learn to to travel with wadded up toilet paper in your pocket because you don't, there's probably not going to be anywhere you're going. And you learn to just eat whatever and not ask what it is. Cause you won't be able to understand the answer anyway. Yeah. And like, you know, learn, live, exist in places with miserable weather conditions whether it's incredibly hot incredibly cold or or there's cockroaches in the apartment or there's like Mm -hmm. unpleasant things but it's also the reality of so many people in the world yep and so yeah it's very 
I'm so grateful. That's the best gift that they ever gave to me and my brother. I'm so incredibly grateful. But they didn't they they live up to it because it wasn't like oh we're just doing this for our kids. Because right. as you'll find out in this interview, they always talked about wanting to move to Africa together again, and it came to a point where they they realized like okay, but when is that? We're mm. we're the ones that decide when that is. We're healthy. We're like physically able to still, you know, you know, they were in their fifties, I forget their ages, but yeah, in their fifties and not retiring yet, but a little burnt out on their jobs. Dylan and I are out of the house. We're out of college. And you know, it's like, when do you, if you don't make that decision, no one's going to make it for you. My dad says something in the interview. I forget exactly, but it was basically like the secret is nobody gives a shit what you do. So no, do what you want to do. Like people will pass yeah. judgments on it, but they forget about it after a while. Cause it's not their life. It's your life. No. Yeah. No yeah. one gives a shit. Yeah. So remember no one that gives a shit. no one gives a shit. So do what you want. And exactly. we said this in our last career fulfillment episode. I think it was our second episode. You know, you could fail doing what yeah. you don't you love something you hate. So you might as well just try Yep. And do what you love and you might succeed, you might fail, but hey, at least you're trying. And that's why I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this episode. Should be intro. Me too. Let's yeah. them. All right. Well, here oh. is a beautiful interview with Molly and her parents. Uh, yes. Enjoy. This is Tom and Renee Cottrell, and you're listening to SOS with Molly and Alyssa. All right, guys. So I'm here with my parents, um, Renee Cottrell and Tom Cottrell. Hello, guys. Hello, Molly. Hey, Molly. <laughs> They're stuck with me. Okay. So <laughs> I have... Did you say stuck? <laughs> We're never stuck. <laughs> I have a couple questions for you guys um, regarding your life experience. So I know that you guys had talked about wanting to do this, to travel and go abroad, and you had mentioned the Peace Corps at various points throughout my life, but when was the earliest time you guys remember discussing amongst yourselves, like, oh, one day we'd love to do this? Well, I, well, when we met, I had just got back from Peace Corps the first time, and uh, and when we met, we were talking about it, and and you said right away that uh, you'd you know you'd you'd like to do it, and I thought, oh my God, I'd been <laughs> gone two years <laughs> living in a hut. I don't. Sometime, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so then we decided um, we would do it. We just didn't know when. And then we thought, well, yeah. the when will be after we have kids and after they're grown and they're done with college, we'll go. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the plan. Yeah. Talked about not semi-regularly, I guess. What'd you say? Yeah, I remember, I remember hearing it here and there. And just, the, I mean, it was a regular thing that you guys brought up. Like, we traveled as a family a lot, but I remember it being like, yeah, one day... We'd like to join the Peace Corps together, or we'll travel later. And and, and I always believed it, because I knew you guys, but a lot of people say that stuff, and they, it's just, oh, it'd be great one day. And um, so then I was actually curious, because I've never asked you guys, but the day at home in Washington State, after Dylan and I are out of college and grown up, the day you had the actual conversation where you were like, we're doing this, let's apply, let's do this. I actually, I don't know if you, I, I don't remember exactly the moment because it was an ongoing decision that it grew stronger and stronger. Like most of our decisions, we, we think about it and 
and we'll even, it's like we decide it multiple times, even though it's the same decision each time we decide it, <laughs> you know, we, like every day, well, I think we should do this. And I'm thinking, well, didn't we just decide that last night? But yeah, okay, yeah, I think we should do this. And it, it felt like that to me with the, this decision. It did, but I think I was more anxious to just like want to go. Like I can remember bringing it up and dad would say, well, I don't think quite yet, like in another year or whatever. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but kind of, it was um, the fall of 2014. And we thought, we're going to, we need to do this. We're going to apply yeah. right now and we're going to see what happens. And if we will figure out the whole job house thing later, but this is the time. Molly and Dylan are done with thinking school. Thinking about where you guys were. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and for us, we're thinking, We've taught now for a number of years. We're healthy now. We should just take the time and do it. And and you know this story, but the the thing that that occurred to me uh, the first time that I went to Peace Corps was was uh, walking to class uh, when I was at uh, Boulder, going to school, and and uh, seeing a sign that was advertising Peace Corps, and walking with this girl who was in the class with me, and and I looked at the Peace Corps ad, and I said, ah, I'd like to do that, and she said, Yeah, I'd like to do that too. And in my snarky mind, I said to myself. You'll never do that. And we walked farther, and, and I thought, wait a minute. If I don't do it now, I won't do it. And that's kind of been something that has occurred to us over the years, that you get to a point you think, okay, a decision needs to be made. Mm -hmm. and, and, and sliding along without making a decision is actually a decision. It's, mm -hmm. it's a weak decision, and you need to realize it. I mean, weak, I don't mean it in a negative, but, but it's, it's passive. A, a passive decision. And I think we've never wanted to make passive decisions. And, mm -hmm. uh, so... Yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember you telling me that um maybe when I was in high school that story about you walking past us because I've always remembered that and thought about it and I love picturing you at that age too just walking through campus like you're not going to do that and then like <laughs> am I going to do that? <laughs> but I have thought about it multiple times that's one of the biggest lessons cuz you live the same way mom and it, and it's one of the biggest lessons I've gained because I have had moments where I'm like yeah, that'd be fun. Or I actually, when I was studying abroad in Australia, I remember one of my goals was to go skydiving and I didn't have it. No one, no one from my school was there at my program. I didn't know anybody. And I walked past this kiosk one day and they were advertising it and it was the best price I had seen. And I just, I walked in by myself and, uh, and there was this kid from Canada there too. And he's like, are you signing up? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. For tomorrow morning. And he's like, okay, me too. And and then he, we both went back to our apartments. I don't know where he lived. I didn't know this guy. And I'm like, I, but in that moment, I thought of your story. I was walking past the kiosk and I was like, yeah, I really want to do that. And then I was like, well, what, what am I going to make like a best friend in, in a month that I really want to go? I don't care. I want to do this. So I got up at like 4am, took a bus to a train, met that kid there. He, I'm fairly convinced, didn't want to go because we were about to miss our train and he's like walking. And I was like, we're going to miss it. And I just remember looking at him and going, I'm running. And he goes, okay. And I took off. And then he like chased after me. Anyway, we just did it by myself. And then, and it was my, one of my favorite experiences. And it's you guys, it's that story you told me, dad, but it's a way of life. But everybody, those you have to be self-aware yeah, to have those moments. And, and we all have things we want to do. And then it just the moment passes. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. One thing that, that has also moved me always is thinking, you know, well, I better decide now or I, I may need to make a decision. Uh, another thing is to not decide is frightening to me. Yes. Um, to, to think, well, yeah, that's possible. You know, that's possible. But 
you, you have to decide, and it's, uh, it, it's scary to think that my life would go along without me driving it. But because that's, it will. And because it will. It will. And yeah. that's a scarier thought to us yeah. than to yeah. go into something that maybe you don't know or you're yeah. a little bit... We weren't frightened for Peace Corps, but something that's just so unknown yeah. and such a big difference. But it's a, it's a more frightening thought to think that I'm going to be complacent and just stay here because that's a safety zone. And mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't operate yeah. that way. I, we won't. Yeah. And honestly, my biggest fear would be getting to the end of my life and thinking, I wish I had really gone after that. Instead of thinking, man, I really went for it and it didn't work. I'd be so much more depressed and full of regret if I was like, I should have spent all of this time I've had on earth doing this. And if you don't, you're not in control of everything. So what happens happens. But to pursue what you actually want it sounds really simple, and it's we we get complacent and we don't. But I am in control of you, so this is good. <laughs> Another frightening thought. <laughs> okay, so once you made this decision, um, what were the reactions from family and friends? <laughs> they, well, they'd been around us long enough. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they were. But one of the reactions um, was, what about the kids? Yeah, and I we thought <laughs> you laugh. Well, I know because we're thinking, okay, because at that time that was in 2015, 2014. Yeah. So you were twenty five. Dylan was twenty three, and we're thinking the kids yeah. are the kids. Like they're grown and they're out of college. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They're they already live across the country. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we yeah. figured not that you need to be like way far from your kids, but we thought we can still you can come see us. We can come see you, yeah. and we we clearly in our heads wanted to raise you guys to do what you wanted to do but to realize it wasn't this sounds kind of I don't know how it sounds it doesn't really matter <laughs> it, um at at our expense it was like yeah we still have things we want to do You're you know so we want to do people. stuff with you guys and expose you to stuff but that doesn't mean that what we want to do stops and so so we were like excited and people ran with that excitement i mean they I were stunned another, and they were shocked but like well, this a christmas party we were at in my at my department actually it was the, the college um and so we were seeing people friends we had across campus who came to the, the uh, christmas party and and people were saying well what so this would have been the christmas before we left and uh they're what do you you know how are things going and and uh and some people had heard what we were going to do and uh, one friend walked up and he said is it true you guys are joining the peace corps just leaving leaving your school, you know, leaving your department and leaving her school. And and I said, yeah. And he goes, that's a ballsy move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about that a lot. We have, but we didn't look at it that way. No, we because didn't. That we was were the first time we thought of it. Wanted to do. Yeah, it's, but we have used that. It's a ballsy move to not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To it abandon. Is. To abandon it. Yeah. Um, Let me add one thing yeah, because, yeah. because um, I mean this, you know, as we're talking here, it sounds like, oh, we just forge forward, and you just imagine us walking down the street like we know, <laughs> you know. So, so here is the other thing: um, flying to Senegal oh, the, the, when we first yes. flew to Senegal, and we we're, were sitting in the plane together, and and uh, you know, and it's frightening when yeah. you know the, the things are frightening. Um, someone and told me once I was doing, I was writing some, some just some things I was keep writing, and and. Uh, and this person asked me what I was writing about. And I said, uh, um, kind of the, the whole topic was about being afraid. And, and I said, because I know a lot about being afraid. And this was Rick. And he said, he said, I would have thought you aren't afraid of anything. I thought, 
Yeah. I'm afraid of all kinds of things. But we were, so we were sitting on the plane and, and we were reading a letter that you had written us. Yeah, um, and crying. And crying. And, uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the gold. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I had just found uh, Mavis Staples on the, on the iPod. Mm-hmm. I think you or Dylan, I'm not yes. sure who gave us that. And I was listening to... Uh, you're not um, alone. You're not alone. And so we both had oh. one one bud in each ear, you know, her ear and my ear, and, and we're listening to this. And, and reading just, that letter. <laughs> reading the letter, crying. <laughs> yeah. So we're, with, we're now with 64, 22, and 23-year-olds who, who yeah. are going to training with us, and we're sitting on the plane going... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, that's... But, but it was okay. It yeah. was great. Yeah. Well, and that's the misconception, because people who take risks are seen as fearless and it's it's not nobody's fearless it's actually the decision to look fear in the eye and do it anyway yeah. no one is devoid of fear and that's the thing where um actually it reminds me of we were at our family reunion when I was really little um and we got there early no one was there yet and I had a really really bad stomach ache and I mean it, I I still remember it. I think I was probably like seven and I'm 30 and I remember this stomachache. It was miserable. <laughs> and grandma got there early too. Uh, we were in our cabin. I don't know. There wasn't much around was the reason we weren't able to go get medicine or something. Um, so uh, she came in and she said, she gave me some seven up and she was like, you know, this and some saltines, you know, this will help you. And I remember it was so bad at that point. I, all I was telling myself in my head, the only thing I could do was say over and over and over and over, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. I had to keep repeating that in my head to not think about throwing up or how bad I felt. And over the years, and, and it worked, it worked. And when I would stop doing that, I'd be like, don't think about it, don't think about it, and keep your brain busy. And so when there are times where I'm afraid or I'm about to do something, if I really think I'm terrified, yeah. I just am like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, yeah. doesn't matter. And you po- you populate your brain with that so nothing else fits until you do it. All right, so you guys had done a lot of traveling in the past in your lives in third world countries and a bunch of different places. So I know traveling to somewhere that foreign is not new, but what were some of the things you... Um, experience surprising emotions or adjustments that you weren't expecting to have to make um, and or some things you learned about yourself during this time because you can continue to prove to yourself that you don't know everything about yourself even at the age of 55. Well I'll tell you one a big adjustment that we were not ready for was the heat (laughs) it was unbearable and nobody Apparently we did bear it. Well, apparently yes. So it was bearable, but kind of, kind of not. Um, yeah. That was a big adjustment. But I remember just being really excited, and it was fun because we sat on the bus to go from the airport just to the training center, and we're with kids um, who had never traveled before, and their eyes were like saucers looking out the windows at stuff, and you could see they were afraid and they were nervous, and we were maybe nervous, but in a different way than they were. It was sheer excitement for, for me. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and you I'll know, get back to I, another thing I learned. I, it's funny, things I learned. One, one thing that I learned was that I wasn't a uh, 24-year-old anymore. <laughs> you know, the first time I went, um, my brain was still young enough that l- language learning was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we went this time, uh, it was much more difficult. And I, I kept thinking, what's wrong here? Why, why am I not, you know, why do I have to hear this 20 times before I can get it? When, uh, yeah. So that was a surprise. So I guess it's it, one thing I learned was that I had changed over the 
space of 30 years, you know, the first time there and the second, or not 30, mm-hmm. 20 years, 35 years, what <laughs> a <Whatever>. long time <laughs> that I was there, uh, you know, in between the two, um, Niger the first time and Senegal the second, yeah. Yeah. But I think um, for learning, like once we got to village, it was a matter of um, learning how to to show our villagers that I, in fact, did know stuff. I knew how to do stuff. As a woman. Or just as as a non-villager. I mean, they, they've been uh, living that way for and doing, getting water that way and cutting wood that way and cracking peanuts that way and cooking that way. So I know how to, like, I have a skill set, but I had it wasn't their skill set. Mm-hmm. So to convince them that I do have talents too, <laughs> you know, and they did come around, but it, yeah. it took a bit. You know, you feel like it might not be your way, but I can still do it. So that was one thing. And just wrapping mm-hmm. my head around the whole, the whole, you got to make this work. Like you're going to be hot and there is no cooling. So just to make yourself uh, do it. And add one thing about uh, the things that I learned was um, how I could care for the people there in a way that I, I guess, you know, when you live in the States, it's, it's different. You're a little more, everyone's on their own yeah. in a way. You, you go to work, you see someone in the street, you wave and stuff, but it felt more like uh, like family. Like a we. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was funny how, how strongly I could care for the people. Yeah, and uh, what you were saying, Mom, actually made me think of you getting there and feeling like you had to prove, like, I'm not incapable. I'm, I can do these things. I don't know your ways, but I can do these things. But that's a really unique experience for someone, a Westerner to have because how do we treat people that come from another country who don't yeah. speak the language, who yeah. don't, haven't been in a Western society, we treat them like they don't know shit. And like they just, oh, I need to help them through, do everything. And yeah, these customs are new and these traditions of food's new. Everything's new, but they're full-grown, capable adults. And and that is forgotten in the United States where we kind of take on like a white saviorism uh, mentality where it's like, let me show you the ways. And yeah. it's like, no, they can do it. Yeah, you can teach them things about your country, but that's not the issue. It's like they're fully capable, intelligent beings just because you can't communicate with them, but you were kind of feel, experiencing it on the opposite side. Like, yeah. Well, they yeah. were open. Like they were open to us. I didn't feel like I really had to prove myself as such, but it was an opportunity for us to show them, like, look, this works too. Mm-hmm. This works too. So yeah. I, I don't know. Well, um, I also think about because when I would tell people what you guys were doing I remember you guys saying or when you would tell people that you were in the Peace Corps and everybody would say oh that's so generous of you that's so kind of you and I remember you guys yeah so brave so generous and and when I went to visit you guys um in your village and and I and it was this thought I know you guys had said this and I had this thought of like how unbelievably ignorant are we to think that the rest, if the rest of the world could only learn our ways uh-huh. and if we could only show them. And, and I remember you guys saying, I'm not, we're not here to be a savior and to help them find the light. Like it's, it's an, exp- you are like, a, we're learning more, yeah. if not we the learned. same, but if, you know, probably more than they are. They're teaching us yeah. and we're teaching them. We, it's not, we're not here to rescue you. Yeah, yeah. not at all rescue. We felt That's a the, wrong One idea. of the most important things we did was to meet people and, and let them meet us, you know, and have the, the interaction, the human interaction, human interaction mm-hmm. was, uh, was wonderful and felt like the most important thing on those days when we were 
upset that things weren't going the way we wanted. We'd planted trees and other people were not interested in the trees or whatever the issue was, and we'd think, oh, what are we doing? And then someone would walk in the, the compound or the hut and say something, and we think, you know, and the smile you get there mattered more than yes. anything else. Yeah. All right, so Peace Corps was two years living in Senegal, and I knew, and you guys knew, that there wasn't a definite plan afterwards. Maybe we'll come back to the States and go back to our jobs. Maybe we'll do something else. Um, so what made you decide to continue living abroad and traveling and searching for jobs abroad? Well, we just liked living overseas. And so we thought, okay, what are we going to do? So um, we thought, well, uh, we'll start looking for teaching jobs because I can pick that up again. So not really having an idea of where, we just applied everywhere. I mean, we must have had 50 or 60 applications out there to, <laughs> oh, that country, oh, that country. And, and as far as the concept <clears throat> of what we did, um, we couldn't imagine coming back. Uh, and so, I mean, that was a part of it. Uh, it's like, I can't quite picture going back to the... To your jobs or to, to the To States? our jobs. To, uh, well, for me, well, to, the, to my job, mm -hmm. I thought, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, I loved the job, but I couldn't picture myself being back there, not yet anyway. Yeah. And it was also to the States. I mean, I, we had <clears throat> resigned our jobs, but we could have looked again when we got back here, but we thought we still want to stay overseas. So I, um, we started I started applying for mine, which meant I had to leave Peace Corps a couple months before Dad. But we did land a job. We got a teaching job um, in Egypt, which was never on our radar, but we thought, why not? We had like three or four choices of places, and that's the one we picked. And so um, so I left early, and Dad set up every, I set up everything there, and Dad yeah. finished everything in Senegal, and yeah. and there we were. And when It we, was hard to leave that when village. When we got there, then I was not working out of the house, and, uh, and Mom said... Um, you know, I've always wanted to give you another sabbatical, and had we stayed at the university, I would have had another sabbatical, but leaving, um, I didn't get one, so she said, Here, here's a sabbatical for you where you can do the writing you want to do and do the photography you want to do, and uh, um, which was difficult, too, because I had never had a, a job, in quotes, where I was... Yeah. Uh, where that was in, your job. That, where that was my job. I mean, sabbatical the first time was was different still because I was still connected to the university, but... But here, um, it, it's hard, and we've talked about this, yeah. you know, sustaining this creative urge that you have. Um, and, you know, Renee would go off to work, and there I was. And, uh, you know, there were days when it was not, uh, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And it was, you know, that was hard. Well, um, and we really, um, we know we did the right thing, <clears throat> but we missed our village. Like, it was hard to... I was, to go. It was yeah. really hard to go. I went through a period where, I mean, feeling depressed yeah. about, and I, I didn't know what it was exactly, but in retrospect, a lot of it was being away from the village and the people. I, even as miserable as the, the climate was, I just, it was hard to leave there yeah. and the people. Yeah. But we knew we'd go back. We knew we'd go back. Yeah. Right. Well, I know this has a lot to do with how Dylan and I were raised, um, traveling, living abroad, and valuing, you guys taught us, prioritize travel above all else because it expands you as a person. Um, and people would ask me, my friends in, back here, when, well, your parents, aren't, isn't their service over? What are they doing next? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll find out. And then you're like, oh, they're moving to Cairo. They're moving to Egypt. Yes. And then I was up at 3 a.m. down these deep dive Google searches about ancient Egypt and became obsessed. And, and for me, and I know Dylan feels the same way, and people are like, oh, isn't that, don't you want them to come home? Don't you? And, and yeah, I'd love be able to fly and see you in three hours. But the thing is, it was like this 
like lottery every time where I was like, ooh, where do I get to spend next Christmas? And oh, I'm going to Egypt next Christmas. Yes, we're, we're just going to make it work. We'll figure it out. And after that, like, oh, we're going to go to Jordan next. Yeah, it was, it was like this free ride. I just I was so excited for wherever you guys went. And I also because I knew that you guys value and Dylan and I value experiencing it together so wherever you go even if you hate it i'm like well i'm gonna see the place i'm, I'm excited you would say that because people would ask us on our end what about your kids like what do they think and our, always we would tell them what do you mean what do they think like they think it's great they're all about yeah. where are you going next where do we get to go and so people wonder too and they just i mean they great. get it once they know us a little better but and it meant so much to have you guys come visit in the places where yeah. we were which is something with with uh, mom being well the two of us being in the village in senegal together um i didn't have someone in niger when i was there to yeah. to make those memories stay alive and yeah. and now there's you and i'm pointing at you <laughs> you that's pretty pretty standard <laughs> and and uh, molly and dylan <laughs> That, and, and our friends who came as well uh, that keep those memories alive. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. wonderful to share them. Yeah. And it, you, you once told us, <clears throat> one of you guys told us, you guys ruined us as kids. And we, Dad and I said, what do you mean we ruined you as kids? And you're like, because every time we travel, we go for a long time. So, like, if anybody tells us now, you want to go somewhere for a week, we're like, a week? Who goes somewhere for a <laughs> I week? I thought they were talking about all the drug use. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe I misunderstood. No, that helped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. it's part of the experience of really living there, what you guys taught us with traveling. It's we're not going and staying at these five-star resorts or these American westernized places. We're not going to McDonald's. We're staying with the locals. And a lot of times that's not glamorous. It's not comfortable. It's not, you're walking in the markets, you're getting the looks, you're getting the stares, you're, you know, hot, you, but that's what real life is. And, and when I went away to college, I remember realizing that a lot of my people, oh, I, where did you, I went to, I spent a lot of time in Europe. I summered over here. Did you stay at this Four Seasons? And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Stayed I stayed on the side of a street. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I know what life is like there. Yeah. All right. So after Egypt, um, my mom took a job in Jordan. And without going into that whole story, what I'm interested in is, and I admire, is you guys' continued ability to step back, look at your life, and ask yourself again, is this still what I want? Is this still what I want? Even if you know you're there for the right reasons and why you came. And we always have to continue doing that. So I am curious about the the moment you stepped back again and realized you were ready to come back home with or without a plan. So, well, in a nutshell, the job in Jordan wasn't so hot. (laughs) Um, And so we did have to step back because it wasn't going well. We liked Jordan. We liked the people we were meeting, but the job wasn't great. So we did have to step back and think, this is not this is not doing for us what we wanted to do. It's not fulfilling us in the way that we want to be. And so we need to, um, the job was all consuming and we thought we need to step back and regain our lives. So when when you, you called me and told me that, that, uh, it just wasn't going to work. And we'd been talking about this for a while, you know, well, for a long time, but it had been rising to a, Mm -hmm. to a peak. And, uh, you called and said, this is just, you know, terrible and I said yeah well just do it you know pull the trigger let's and you said yeah that's what I want to do and uh, then I met you I think that was the day I walked halfway to the school and you were walking back 
And I remember walking down the street and we're just look, we keep looking at each other with these big smiles. Like (laughs) we, oh, it felt so good. And we knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Even though we didn't have much of a a plan plan. beyond that, that didn't matter. Mm -hmm. What mattered is that we were taking care of the stuff that wasn't going well. The plan was to be happy. happy. Yeah. And so that meant walking away from that. That's, That's the thing that I, I learned and I want everyone to learn from you guys is that you don't have to people think you have to have all the answers before you jump and yeah there's a level of being a responsible adult that comes into play but you already know you're responsible adults you'll figure it out you have resources but the thing is day to day is this actually is this what I want right now and then if it's not you it's easy to be like well we're not quitters. We just stick it out. We're just going to, we can put up with this for another year. We can, but why? Especially when you're at any point, but you know, you're like, okay, 56 years old, 57. Why? Why? Well, and that's the thing to grapple with, I suppose, would be we're not quitters, but there's also a point at which you have to, you have to look at the whole picture and think, no, I'm not a quitter, but this is not a good situation. And I'm not, I am not able to make that change that I need. So then it is time to walk away. Like nobody likes to walk away and break a contract, which is what we did. But at the same time, it's more of a trap to stay in it. And so it was worth whatever we went through was worth it. Here we sit today with everybody and and Mm -hmm. we've we don't look back. Mm -hmm. It was a good move. Thinking, too, that that uh, when you when you make those decisions, you know, and you think, well, are we quitters or aren't we quitters? Uh, you have to, to weigh for yourself, um, you know, who, who decides how your life goes? Because the people you work for typically don't care how you feel about it. Yeah. They, they want you happy enough that you stay or, or yeah. unhappy enough that you leave. <laughs> but, but in the final analysis, it's we're the ones who say, I'm either happy enough or not that I need to make this change. No one's looking after you. Yeah. I mean, as much as we love each other, you know, and, and a close spouse, we can look at each other and think, all right, this is it. We need to yeah. do this. But, but you know, you get one more remove and you, you, no one's looking at, you know, so it's, that's uh, yeah, a good yeah, way to a make good, a choice. It is. Because nobody is going to look at you and be like, this isn't right for you. We're yeah. going to stop and look over here now. Yeah. No one's going to do that. And like you said, also, if you're in your head and your ego about, oh, what's it going to look like? Or Which I know you guys aren't. But in general, when people make those decisions, it's like, well, does this look like I... What no one cares. <laughs> no one cares enough. Even if that's their first impression, like, oh, that was kind of... They forget about it in a week. Yeah, you right. are the one that lives with that. Yeah. And I would so much rather get to the end and think, like, that friend I had when I was 30 was really disappointed in me than look back and be like, man, I wish I hadn't wasted a year knowing I was unhappy. Yeah. Um, So thank you guys so much for talking with me and sharing these stories because people often forget that these quests for happiness and they they think they stop at the in your twenties or your thirties and then you figure it out and you're there and that's not how it should go and I'm so grateful to have been raised by two people who think that way and yeah so I love you both thank you we love you back (laughs) thanks they have to say that. You gonna pay us now? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good because we don't have jobs. <laughs> I got some wine. <laughs> Payment enough. <laughs> okay, so there's so. my mom and dad. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> there you have it, folks. The very interesting Tom and Renee Cottrell. They truly are like the most interesting thing about myself, and I say that. Oh. With, no, but I say that 
no believing I'm a very interesting person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. think that they're I mean, they're, they're incredible. I I get so much inspiration from them and um I think their ability to view their own lives that way mm-hmm. and face the unknown in their own lives is a big part of why they have been able to be so sincerely supportive of me and my music because they know nothing about the music industry, the entertainment industry. Neither of them plays any instrument or sings. Like I, of course, I'm not a parent, but I've often tried to imagine being a parent with no knowledge of or experience in that world and having your kid move to Los Angeles and like try to break into the entertainment industry. Like there's a lot of, I'm sure anxiety and, and fear that could go along with that, but which I'm, they've said like, yeah, we felt that, but they never bring it up to me. They never use it as a thing to hinder my excitement or my ambition or dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's greatly attached to a lot of the things I just expressed, like how they view life and what's important. And you don't, they've never been the kind of person to be like, uh, the kind of parents to be like, well, how, what's the yeah. answer? How are yeah. you going to achieve what you want? Like, they'll ask me that in conversation of excitement. Like, yeah, how do you think you're going to, but not like, give me the answer and I'll let you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause there's no answer to certain things. Like this is all they care about is, are you passionate about it? Do you love it? Is this what you want with your life? Does it feed you? Are like, does it make you the most happy? And then, those yeah. questions is like what I want listeners to take from that interview is like those questions that your parents are like asking you, are you happy? Do you love it? Is this going to feed you? That's the kind of questions you should be asking yourself. Exactly. You know, even if you're because it is rare for, for parents to be like that. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky too. I have a supportive parents. Yeah. Um, and, and we listen to your parents and I feel like that is a rare thing for parents of artists to be as supportive, especially mm-hmm. when we move so far away from home. We're not close. And yeah, th- I mean, that's also another feat, you know, uh, the moving aspect when, when they moved I to know. another <laughs> continent, you know, we just moved from different States, but, right. uh, you know, to pursue our, our love, but that still is, and I mean, not taboo, but it, you know, I have I a know. lot of it- friends that, that still, you know, don't want to pull the trigger and, 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 and move away from their p- families you yeah know, and well and you have experience stay. with that yeah. in the sense of like ryan's mom you have family that lives abroad and it's yeah. just like uh i mean on certain levels because they talked about you know how people reacted when they made this decision family and friends loved ones you know a lot of them being like well what about the kids and my parents mm-hmm. are like well they're what do you mean they're 25 and 23 and they have their own lives and yeah (laughs) and we already don't live in the same state we're close we're a close-knit family because of all the traveling mainly but um I already was only seeing them once maybe twice a year like I'd see them at Christmas and maybe in the summer hopefully um Mm -hmm. the difference is I I would talk to them like especially my my dad when they were working because he's a professor he didn't have like my mom was teaching all day in class but I talked to my dad multiple times a day sometimes just call and be like hey dad I just read this book I thought you'd be interested okay bye you know, and those were the things that changed because there's massive time differences. There's service issues, especially when they were living in mm-hmm. Senegal in a village they, really out there. When they moved to Cairo, it was a little bit better. Um, there's definitely an adjustment, though, because even though you're not seeing, I already wasn't seeing them, I could feel the distance. Yeah. Um, I could feel yeah. it. And it was it was an adjustment. I love my parents. I miss them. But no part of me felt like, 
uh, every bone in my body was like, yes, go. You need to do this. You need right. to do this. And they use, uh, you know, also another reason I'm grateful is because they used um, each country that they moved to in Africa. They used their credit card miles or whatever to help my brother and I visit them. So we spent, mm. I spent time in Senegal. I spent time in Egypt. I spent, they just like brought us, brought us there because as always, they've prioritized family experiences and traveling. Um, and they've proven to me that you don't have to have a lot of money to do these things. You have to make decisions like they would, you know, sell a car for this mm-hmm. or, you know, save up and not. And my mom would, you know, we've talked about coupons like cutting coupons. coupons. No, it's amazing. And they didn't even um, quit their job. And like, you know, huh? it, it's so funny, like their transition into it, how they were still there's a, yeah. leave, a leave of absence. Yeah, they both took leave of absence because at the time they were like, is this going to be for two years? We don't know. They didn't sell their house right away. They rented it for the same reason. They gave our cat to a family friend to like hold on to. And then the longer it went, years went by. They moved to another country and left again. And then it was like, you know what? When we do come back to the States, we're not going to move back to Ellensburg. We should sell our house. Um, You know, that family has the cat permanently now. They... Um, yeah, they, they officially quit their jobs and they continue to find work elsewhere. So it's, it's an evolving process. I think a lot of people are so intimidated by the fact that if I'm going to do this, I need to know exactly right, right. what I'm going to do about this and this and this and how and how and how. And, and they were like, well, figure it out. We have which each other. Why, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Which is why an interview like this is so important because, you know, not obviously everybody's not going to have the same, uh, passions as your parents have and, and, you know, moving to different continents but whatever you really really want to do it is an evolving process like you said it's yeah. not going to be like every you're going to not everything's going to fall in place for you to make that decision right right so so embrace the baby steps it and, is okay yeah and to anywhere not have you everything look, figured if out. you're looking for reasons to not make that move you'll find them because oh, yeah. it's a hard thing to do so yeah, we're in a comfort zone. That's what a comfort zone is. I could look for so many reasons to not pursue music because the shit's yep. hard. But oh, like yeah. if you're going to, they could have found so many, re- you know, like I said, well, what are we going to do about the car? What are we going to do about the house? What are we going to do about right. the cat? What are we going to do about our, you know, there, you can always find the reasons. So you have to all- decide mm-hmm. like, because when, we're, when we bring it back to quarantine and people are considering like, oh, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. I don't. I want to encourage people not to get, yeah, you have to plan and think ahead. And my mom is like the type A planner, organizational. She's that type of person. But she has that other side to her that balances it out where you're like, yeah, make your plans, have ideas of what you want, the emails you need to send or the places you want to apply. Have a plan, but also understand that it's impossible for you to sit down and be like, okay, this is going to happen, then this, then this, and this. Now I feel good about making this jump and I'm going to do it. Well, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be called a jump and then it wouldn't be so scary. Yeah. Right. So like, you and just, I think, yeah, I think it's also, you know, I think about us starting this podcast. Even, <laughs> yeah. You know, like we use you, you getting fired as our mm-hmm. jumping off point. But that doesn't mean no matter what project or what kind of avenue you want to start, you have to wait for something like that to happen. Exactly. And that's just what happened for us. And unfortunately, I mean, like, not that we think we started way too late. It's we no, but it did make us. We both were like, we reflected on that and we're like, I'm so glad it happened. And but also like, wow, we could have been we could have done this at any point. And it just hammered that home because we had talked about it. Yep. And we had talked about it for a long. We're like, oh, one day. Yeah. And 
yeah, it's just you can start at any point. Just trust yourself because you know what you love. Mm-hmm. You do. And if you don't, maybe your jumping off point or whatever, you know, shift you need to do is to find out. Yeah. Because well, and honestly, it's, a, it's also enough to go off of maybe you don't know what you ultimately love. But if you know that you don't love what you're doing, right. you don't love where you and are. That's enough. That is enough. Yeah. Start from there. That is enough because you will find and it's not don't be a perfectionist in the sense of the next thing has to be something I love. No, it just has to be different. And the next thing after that will be different and you will find your way into the light of something that feels more authentic to who you are. And, you know, I think my, my parents also, they were very realistic in the interview. Like, yeah, this was hard and this was hard and we don't really know about all. It's not like, oh, it's magically just wonderful. It's like, yeah, there's still struggles. But do you have struggles right now living a life that you're unsatisfied with? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you want to trade those out for some different ones that might aid you in getting somewhere else you know yeah it's like it, it's yeah. in the fact that they did that at that stage in life is what makes it so unique too yeah and I try and you know to take what your parents say and and what they've taught you and for me like even right now like I I am doing what I love. Like, I, of course, I, I, I should say had a day job where <laughs> I, I, I got not getting fulfilled. Yeah. But what how I can take from this specifically is I can start trusting my intuition more. Yeah. Uh, because like I said, I didn't know people saw me as ambitious. That's fucking weird to me. And maybe I should folk, I should think about that. Yeah. Um, and do something with it. Do more. Do something more with it. Um, mm-hmm. trust that I can make more of an impact and if <laughs> for me and like what comes to mind is because I keep saying I want to start a twitch account because yeah I'm a loser who loves video Wait, games say, say and what, I'm kind of really good at it say and what twitch like, is because I didn't know until you told me so I don't know if everyone's oh know. oh so twitch is um it's like a streaming uh service so you can watch people play video games so you like you see them like in a box and you can like most of the screen is just like them playing the game so you can see their first yeah. person like them playing the game and it's like wildly popular and wildly entertaining to watch um and mm-hmm. you make money people That's donate crazy it was weird i was watching this one and it's so but it's also fun to watch because there's so many different personalities the people make it mm-hmm. their own Da-da-da-da-da. also you're a very fun shit talker to listen to <laughs> like i can just picture you uh playing a video game just like saying shit to the screen like you're funny to watch when you're Ryan like is going nodding. <laughs> I have a dirty mouth <laughs> um but it's fun and it's a good stress reliever and it's just a way to do something so I feel like that, that's what I'm saying so it's not a huge thing but it's something s- small that you can at least uh, make an adjustment in your life yeah that makes you happy yeah and I started the account a, a few days ago and I just had to figure yes. out how to get my PS4 set up with it. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it sounds so uh, when I'm saying it out loud, it sounds so minuscule than like the bigger no. picture of what your parents are saying. No, like, no, it's very much you're relating it to. It's not just these massive leave right. your country decisions that need to take place. I, yeah, it's very I relevant. Think, so I, I say that just to, make anybody who might be intimidated by making a life change that it can be small it can be something just something small that takes care of your 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 insides your heart and your mind just to 
just to get you through the day, get you through life because yeah, life is too short to not be doing what you love. And if you need a wake up call, let this episode be one for you. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know if you do. I get like so in a good way, so overwhelmed with inspiration and beauty when I go down, like whether I'm reading a book that I love or even like a magazine that's talking about a certain art exhibit or a certain photographer or, mm-hmm. or I'm just like putting together a mood board of images. I love, I mean, anything I, it hits me sometimes. I just get overwhelmed with this, like, holy shit. There is mm-hmm. so much beauty and inspiration in the world everywhere. And just because we, we are talking careers, but that's another symptom is like, we're always trained to be like, how can I turn this into a career? How can I, do what you love. Just start doing it. It'll likely turn into something if you're truly passionate about it and, you know, you grow your talents in it. But that isn't even the point. Like, eventually, that's a goal, of course. Like, with this podcast, would ideally, we'd get sponsors. We start making money off of it. That is the dream. But yeah. we're not right now. And it's no. fulfilling me still. And it's like, exactly. you just need to just start doing it. You don't need yeah. all the answers. Stop. Stop. Just quiet that part of your mind. If you want to go take pictures, I'm not really a photographer. I don't have a good camera. I have, you have, you know, I took photos at my friend's wedding with my iPhone and people were like, were you the photographer at the wedding? No, bitch. That was my phone. Like just do stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm like yelling at people, but I'm saying this to myself too, because you have to remember that you see beautiful things in the world all the time. And the people doing them are not always these like accredited 20 years of experience people. They're just people that understand beauty and they love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And we yep. can all do that. You're yeah. not you're not just an accountant. You're not just a server. You're not even just an actress or you no. know what I mean? Yeah. And you have no idea if you don't know that about yourself, what other people might think of you. you right. I mean? You might you, you might be as like, oh, I can't do the photography. Like I can't. You have no like people are like, what are you talking? I know that you can take pictures. You know, yeah. talk to your friends like maybe you need other um even though you shouldn't base it off of outside voices, but maybe you need that because like I said, when my friend said I was ambitious, I would have never yeah. thought of myself as that. And that is something that since he said that, I mean, it was just yesterday. Like I've been thinking about a lot, like mm-hmm. in those 24 hours, I'm just like, I would have never thought anybody would think that of me. So you never know what yeah. word or adjective people actually are thinking of you as it- far as being ambitious, as far as being passionate about something capable you can of do something it. and capable and exactly. it's just like it hammers home how much we lie to ourselves yeah because it's not like when he said that it sounds like you weren't like oh I've never thought of that it was more like you specifically didn't think that you were ambitious no like you it wasn't like you were neutral about it you thought that you weren't for right. example or like we lie to ourselves all the time and there are the ones, the obvious ones that we can pick out and be like, oh, yeah, I know this is a lie. But the scarier ones are the ones that we don't realize are lies. And so yeah. a lot of it has to start with us really looking at, I mean, this is an, if you really want to do the work on yourself, this is something like I've done, write down limiting beliefs or things I, even if they're negative, like things I think about myself mm-hmm. and really look at it and be like, Why? Right. Who, who said this? Where did the, I, even if I can, I know where it comes from. This happened once or someone said this once and some bullshit though. Yep. Like, and, and we, we are tell each other, we tell ourselves so, so easy. many lies. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially as a musician and an actor. Like, yeah, that is just, <laughs> yeah, you know, that is what we fo- focus on because that is our life is to be judged, and therefore we judge ourselves so hard mm-hmm. because that's kind of the industry. You know what I mean? It's half like, yes, we're doing it with love, we're expressing ourselves, but also we're battling uh, a voice that yep. is so stifling and it, it, it stops us in our tracks from actually being fulfilled. Yeah. Jordan so. uh, Shomer, the astrologer we had on your guys' favorite episode, um, <laughs> she gave me an exercise once to do. She said, write down five limiting beliefs you have about yourself Ooh. and then write the inverse of those sentences. So for example, like I am, uh, I'm, I'm stubborn. And then, oh, like they can go even for, what was one? Gosh, I had, anyway, whatever. I wrote five of them down and I wrote the opposite down. And she's like, Molly, this is going to sound cheesy and you're going to feel like a fraud at first, but I promise you every day, write down the five positive ones, the opposite of what you believe about yourself. And she said, she did this for herself. And um, she's like, you know, for, for weeks, I just felt, She's like, don't do it mindlessly. Like, really think about what you're writing down and write those sentences down. She's like, for weeks I felt like, what am I? This is stupid. Who do I think I am? This is annoying. I get it. I'm a good person. She's like, at the end of, she goes, well, when five months hit, I realized I was about five months in and I was writing these things down and I thought, oh my God, I, I believe this. I am this. And it's repro, it's deconstructing and reprogramming ourselves um, but the first step is identifying what our lim- what your limiting beliefs are. Like I used to think I wasn't, I don't know where I got this story in my mind in elementary school that I wasn't good at sports. And I remember practicing, but I played volleyball through middle school and high school. And I was practicing in the yard one day and my dad came, my dad was reading, he was sitting in the yard and he just looked up and like very genuinely, he's like, you know, Molly, you're really athletic. And he, And I just like, I don't think he even remembers this moment, but I was just like, what? Like kind of laughing. And he's like, no, you're, you're really athletic. And he reminded me, I used to be on swim team. I have all these first place medals and, and like, wait, it just shifted. I was like, wait, I, I am. And Mm -hmm. it, and it was so simple, but I really was like 15 years old. And I just, in my mind, I was like, I love volleyball. I play for, but I'm not like one of the good ones. I'm not, Mm -hmm. uh, what the hell? Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter because uh-uh. it's an innate skill that we suppress or whatever it is, whether it's athleticism or a talent or whatever that we suppress because we feel mm-hmm. like we're never going to be good enough. Or should, we don't like we something pursue? and we, in our mind, saying, I don't like math turns into I'm not good at math. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the lines, it shifts into that. And that is Sorry for all the bad language because mom and dad are definitely listening to this episode, but that is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody told, no one ever sat me down and was like, Molly, you're not athletic. You're not good at sports. Nobody. I was doing well. Like it's insane. I just, I mean, I think we're just encouraging people to really like, we have time. We all have the time now because we're stuck at home and we're all sick of screen time at this point so yep. all that's left is to reflect on yourself listen to the episode with Rudy. unless you're me and your screen time is call of duty so. <laughs> that's true you need to get in your screen time 
But yeah, but, it's just uh, a uh, it's a self reflection yeah. process. It takes mm-hmm. time and focus, but also we don't have anything else to do right now. <laughs> so and you might as well love yourself. <laughs> what? So you might as well love yeah. yourself. You might as well love yourself and like remind yourself who the fuck you are and remind yourself that you can do other things. You don't need the answers. Yep. I'm snapping. Clapping for ourselves. Clapping for my mom and dad, really. (laughs) Thank you so much for that interview. Oh, thank you, mom and dad. I know you're listening. I know you're out there. Thank you, mom and dad. So glad I met you in 1989. It was a really (laughs) fateful meeting. It was, really, it was really wild. It was a really weird experience, but I can't believe we crossed no paths. Regrets. That was crazy. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> oh, um, God. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I did. I chose a charity nonprofit to promote for this one in honor of my parents. I was looking for like teachers abroad, that kind of vibe. I didn't find anything that was like accredited in the way that I thought it should be. So, um, but then I came across this one and it just screamed my parents. Um, it's the Pacific Crest Trail Association. So the Pacific Tra- Crest Trail is um, in the Cascades. It's this famous trail. It goes all the way. I think it stretches from like Oregon up through Canada. It's huge trail. I think there's a book, not Reese Witherspoon. It was in the movie based on that oh, book. Wild. The, yeah, yeah. It was about, I think she was on the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's glorious. My parents have hiked it. We lived in Washington. That's where I grew up. Um, and this hits home because when we do travel as a family my whole life, whether we're traveling in the United States or abroad, these are the types of places they seek out in other countries, in our own country. And when when they are abroad or they're li- like specifically when they were in Africa and I was here, you know, you, you gain more appreciation for where you come from when you're traveling. Even if you love where you're traveling to, it gives you a more appreciation for your own country. And they expressed a lot of appreciation and like, wow, we really did live in a beautiful place in the Pacific Northwest. And anyway, my dad's an environment, uh, biologist, they're environmental conservists, conservationists, whatever conservationalists. Yeah. Conservationists. Yeah. A lot of different words there. Made you it get up. it. <laughs> um, so the Pacific Crest Trail Association, founded in 1977, uh, the mission is to protect, preserve, and promote the Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail as an internationally significant resource for the enjoyment of hikers and equestrians and for the value that wild and scenic lands provide to all people. Um, the association strives to achieve this mission by promoting the Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail as a unique educational and recreation treasure and as one of the finest trails anywhere in the world, providing a broad range of services to its membership, including serving as a communications link among users and land management agencies and publishing trail information and assisting in the U.S. Forest Service and other agencies in the maintenance and restoration of the Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail. That's like a Mm. mouthful. (laughs) So to donate, um, go to pcta.org slash donate. That sounds amazing. And now I want to read wild again. And it is one of the most, seriously, the Northwest is one of the most gloriously beautiful parts of our country. Mm. I would recommend everybody go. I really actually, side note, I really want to take another road trip because me and Ryan had done that like all the way up the yeah. coast to, where did we get to, Ryan? Yep. PCH. Washington. Brookings. Where? Oregon. Brookings, Oregon. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> but it was, it was uh, amazing and I, and I want to go again so bad and this makes me want to visit. Ooh. Yeah. 
And that's the type of like, you know, land conservation, those places, they're internationally known trails and wildlife and Mm. nature. It's things people come to our country to see those places too. So we got to keep them there. Um, Yeah. So there's that. So for next week's episode, it's going to get funky up in here. (laughs) We, uh, you know, let us take you to another time. Another dimension, another realm during this in-depth conversation with our resident fun guy, fun guy. <laughs> Did you get that? F U N G I, fun guy, but fun guy F U N G U I. Great. Ryan's looking at me like I have five heads. He, uh, our friend, is anonymous. He anonymously goes by the witch doctor and sheds the myths and confusions about magic mushrooms and shares his life-changing experiences while tripping. And I have never taken mushrooms. Me neither, and I'm highly open to it. Um, I'm not, but I will babysit <laughs> you. <laughs> I This is going to be a challenge to not say his name. Okay, so our anonymous friend, mm-hmm. um, Alyssa, and I have known him for years, and he is, it's not like, oh, this is our friend who trips mushrooms all the time. No. He is insanely knowledgeable in this field, like scientifically. I mean, he has studied this in depth and And he's he, going to school for like well, he'll go into it about yeah. like his education on it and future yeah. education on it. But and has guided people in their experiences and mm-hmm. he knows I mean, he's he's a botanist with it. He knows how to the different strains. I guess you yeah, call it? different strains. He's created his own strains. He is, uh, it's incredible. He's fully a scientist about this. So this isn't just like let's talk to our friend who gets high all the time. This is some yeah. real shit. Yeah, um, really interesting. I'm interested. I have a lot of questions for him. So uh, yeah, so tune excited. in. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on. Instagram, follow us on Twitter at the SOS pod. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last episode, but like we, me and Molly bought our like URL and it took a while to kick in, but yeah. check out our website, SOS. Is it a slash hyphen? Dash. What's that? What's the just the straight across dash? Yeah. Is that a dash? Yeah. Oh, God, what a nightmare I am. <laughs> um, SOS. <laughs> podcast.com it's okay i'm gonna write that down later that i'm a nightmare and i'm gonna write the opposite um <laughs> i am a dream <laughs> and then dream. say that to yourself every day i am a dream i am um, a dream but i thought of a if we're going off the puns of fun guy and fun guy oh i would like to end this episode by saying here's to turning meltdowns into magic mushrooms <laughs> It's silent, but Alyssa's appreciating. Oh, I thought we were ending it. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know. We could end it there. Anyway, tune in next week. No, tune in next week. (laughs) Wait, follow us on YouTube. Find us at SOS with Molly and Alyssa. Find us on YouTube. Okay, great. (laughs) Bye.